0: Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and this podcast is where you'll find the space to clear your head and calm your heart. Make yourself at home. Welcome to Episode 11 of the Untangling Life Podcast. I'm Rachel, and I'm so glad you're listening in today. The title of this episode is Not Your Average Life Not Detangler. And the reason I titled this episode this way is because I have no doubt at all that the depth of ache in hearts across the globe right now is at an incredibly high peak. There are a number of issues people are facing in our culture, in international and national government, in our churches, homes, workplaces. It's astronomical and can be all-consuming. The number and size of life knots we are facing today is enormous. And because they are so enormous, it takes an incredible amount of hope, faith, and love to prevent yourself from being immersed in negativity. Whether COVID-19, Afghanistan, cancer, rare disease, earthquakes, hurricanes, accidents, financial issues, or mental health issues, or whatever the difficulty. I want you to be encouraged to hold on to hope. While the tangles and knots of the world we live in today seem to be growing larger and larger, God is bigger. Amen? So speaking of large knots, I'm wondering if you have ever heard of the Gordian knot. My husband is an avid history lover, and once when he was watching the History Channel and I was reading a book, I know we're just full of excitement over here, I overheard a description of this ancient Gordian Knot. The term Gordian Knot, commonly used to describe a complex or unsolvable problem, can be traced back to Alexander the Great. As the story goes, in 333 BC, the Macedonian conqueror marched his army into the capital of Gordium in modern-day Turkey. When he arrived in the city, he came upon an ancient wagon with its yoke tied, which has been explained as several knots all so tightly entangled that it was impossible to see how they were fastened. Tradition held that the wagon had once belonged to Gordius, the father of the celebrated King Midas. An oracle had declared that any man who could unravel its elaborate knots was destined to become ruler of all Asia. According to one of the writers, Alexander the Great, who was not yet so great, was seized with a desire to untie the Gordian knot. After wrestling with it for a time and finding no success, he stepped back from the mass of gnarled ropes and proclaimed, it makes no difference how they are loosed. He drew a sword and sliced the knot in half with a single stroke. In another version of the legend, he simply pulled out a linchpin that was running through the yoke, loosening the knot enough so he was able to unfasten it. Whatever method he used, the young king was immediately hailed as having outsmarted the ancient puzzle. True to the words of declaration, he went on to conquer Egypt and large numbers of Asia before his death at age 32. Thanks to the enduring popularity of the Alexander fable, the phrase Gordian Knot has entered as shorthand for an intricate obstacle. Even Shakespeare in Henry V praised his character for the ability to unloose the Gordian Knot's of politics, and cutting the Gordian Knot is now commonly used to describe a creative or decisive solution to a seemingly insurmountable problem. I shared that illustration to say that I want to loosen the Gordian knot of what to do when your heart hurts and negativity is on the overload. Maybe you're walking through grief due to loss. Perhaps you're experiencing a sticky people situation. No matter the reason your heart is hurting, today would be a great day to discover a creative solution to padding your heart. In other words, how do you form a protective barrier around hope and hold on to what is good and true no matter what happens in this world? So let's dive in. What do you do when negativity piles on negativity piles on negativity? Specifically, how do you handle general negative news reports, influences, comments, criticism, or rejection when your heart is already hurting? These are two very big questions I'm tackling this week because, frankly, they are challenging issues for me. I do not like to engage in conflict. I do have a mama bear side, but it usually only comes out when someone is causing harm or problems for my loved ones. Mercy, I have a lot of mama bear stories, but it's a little more difficult to learn how to protect my own hurting heart so that negativity can't find a way in, whether barreling in or trying to seep in. Recently, on two occasions, I've received communication from two different people whom I trusted and allowed into my inner circle of friendship. These were two totally different situations. On both of these occasions, one was via text and one via phone, the words that I received were very unexpected. They stung, and I had a hard time wrapping my brain around them. Literally, I was shocked. In both of these situations, a few months apart, I was stunned at the tone and the vigor at which friends allowed their words to enter my heart or pushed their words into my heart. Both times I tried to explain myself and ask for grace due to my own circumstances, even though I had not done anything wrong. Now this episode may not be for everyone because I realize that not everyone is as sensitive as I am. My husband and I were chatting earlier today and His over 20 years working in the emergency room sets the tone of his capacity to handle critical situations. He is absolutely phenomenal. Y'all, the guy doesn't bat an eye unless it's open wound bleeding. Even then, he might just raise an eyebrow. It's not that he's insensitive to physical pain or wounds. He simply has a professional way of processing it. He's trained to know what to do in emergency situations, and he's very skilled at doing it. He said this morning that he used to know a nurse who didn't take anything from patients. When they cursed at her, she cursed back. It's funny to me because I can't imagine ever doing that. Some people have naturally tougher skin. I've had to work a toughening mine. So how do you protect your heart from pain and negativity and the problems of this world when you're naturally a more sensitive person or life itself has already knocked a few holes into your heart? Well, you can't fully, but you can create a storehouse of hope and love and faith that you build up around your heart so that when someone tries to come into your hope-filled heart with destructive words or actions, they bounce off. Like my husband is trained in providing emergency services, you've got yourself trained on how you will process unkind words and where your hope rests. There are a few places that you can leave your hope to rest. I talk about this in chapter 2 of my book, One More Step, Finding Strength When You Feel Like Giving Up. You can place your hope in people, um, but have you ever been disappointed in someone before? Of course you have. People aren't meant to hold our hope. They're only humans. Humans don't make good hope holders, you know? Placing your hope in people leaves you disappointed many times. Or you can place your hope in things. Putting your hope in things is not good either. You know why? What happens when the new car breaks down or the shine of the new house fades? Placing your hope in things can be detrimental. It's only a temporary distraction. And we're a very distracted society these days. No wonder it's so easy to let negativity take hold in our hearts. But some of us have walked this route before placing your hope in yourself. I am a very poor holder for such an important commodity as hope. I know that I have a more difficult time forgiving myself than others. So hope in people results in disappointment. Hope in things only equals distraction. And placing all my hope in myself, well, that's pretty devastating. Our ability to keep going when things are hard, when harshness comes our way, when criticism gets thrown on us, often begins with where we choose to place our hope. And one more step I wrote, once we discover that Jesus is the only one who can hold our hope, we begin to experience the strength he gives. Y'all, placing our hope in Christ means deliverance. We don't have to wallow in all the negativity thrown our way because our hope is in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to these promises about our deliverer. Psalm 34 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm thirty four seventeen, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Psalm 32, 7, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So how do you protect your heart from negativity overload? I love the portion of Psalm 32, 7 where it says, He will surround me with songs of deliverance. I've seen that happen in my own life many times. And now I want to shift the conversation just a little bit to the practical life steps of what to do in order to protect yourself from negativity overload. I want you to be able to take away an idea or two that will actually work for your own heart. These ideas are things that have worked for me, someone who is admittedly naturally sensitive. By that I mean, God has wired me to hear really well, so I don't need sounds to be extremely loud. And I'm not a fan of horrible spells. It's like they linger in my brain. My five senses seem to maintain at a higher level than many folks. And that's okay. I know I'm not alone in this, and I just have to know what to do with them. So, let's talk about a few of these things. Whenever I have opportunities to enjoy silence, I do. I seriously think that half the world can't stand silence, and this is not a good thing. If you cannot be at peace with yourself, how will you be at peace with the world? I recently read that there are only 12 truly quiet places remaining in the United States, and in this particular research, quiet place was defined as 15 minutes of no man-made noise. Learning how to appreciate silence is a beautiful skill, perhaps even a lost art in the noisy world we're living in. Whenever I walk outside on the trail by our house, I don't take music along. And if I'm alone in the car, a lot of times I just enjoy the silence. I simply try to snag moments throughout the day where I embrace the silence. I put to practice, be still and know that I am God. This is one way of applying scripture practically in my life, and I've found that it pads my heart with a protective hope. The next practical step I wanted to offer to you is, well, I take my screens seriously. By that I mean I'm careful what I watch, what do I allow in my social media feeds, what channels of information I allow to come across my phone, essentially what my eyes see and my ears hear. I'm just telling you, I know some of you will laugh, but I don't watch scary movies because they give me nightmares. I'm not kidding. I don't have a strong filter for violence. I'm not saying that I block out everything is going on in the world. I don't want to live outside of reality. But I've found that I don't have to know everything that's going on in the world the second that it's going on. Two times in the last week, someone said to me, did you see that? You know, fill in the blank. And they seemed so surprised when I was unaware of the issue. Y'all, I have notifications turned off on my phone and laptop. I would never get any work done if I left all my social media notifications turned on or even my phone app notifications on. Maybe you're listening and you're saying, well, I can't do that because my job... I'm not saying you have to do what I do. I'm just sharing what works for me. Another point... Our family doesn't have cable television. One, it's too expensive. But two, we found that we didn't and couldn't watch it. I really guard my visual intake. It's essentially the old see no evil, hear no evil, do no evil. But in this case, we're not allowing the evil to wedge its way into our hearts and do more damage. Protecting our eyes is a way to hold on to hope. My friend Karen Eman recently released a book titled, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. The subtitle of this book is, How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. I've been reading this book in bits and pieces over the last couple of weeks, even though it's not my primary read right now. I have marked it up and highlighted it. And honestly, I haven't been sharing a whole lot of what I've been learning because it's a little painful to realize you are a people pleaser. Being a people pleaser means you are human. But Karen's book is very helpful. Oh, so good. And one of the chapters fits right into this point that I'm talking about right now. The chapter is titled, What Digital is Doing to Us. And this little excerpt is titled, predetermine some digital boundaries listen for just a second karen says when it comes to real estate property boundary lines are drawn it shows the point where your property ends and theirs begins in relationships boundaries serve as a personal property line displaying your personal space and just how far someone can venture into it i will be the first to admit that i stink at boundaries. Over the years, I set up a pattern of behavior that told people in my life I was willing to drop whatever I was doing and help them out. I don't really fault them for overstepping their bounds. I taught them by my behavior just how they could treat me. If I did have any boundaries in place, they were not firm. They were like the thinnest spiderweb glistening in the morning sun. Easy to see, but also a breeze to break through. When it comes to our cell phones here's what a boundary might look like when it's time for your family to have dinner you will place your phone in the do not disturb mode this feature allows calls only from those on your favorites list you are the one who crafts this list for me i have on it the members of my immediate family all the grandparents the assisted living facility where my mother-in-law lives and my direct boss at work in case an emergency should arise. When I place my phone in do not disturb mode from the time I sit down to supper until the next morning, when I fire up the coffee maker, all other calls and text messages are silenced. This feature does allow a call to ring through if two calls come from the same number in less than three minutes. And that way someone with a true emergency can still reach you after a while. People in my life have come to know this boundary I've enacted, and they no longer expect an instant reply. They know I will not see their text message until the next morning. You can also generate an auto response that will be sent when your phone knows you're driving in a car. Mine says, I am driving with my phone's do not disturb feature on. I will see your message sometime later when I reach my destination and have time to respond. Thanks so much. Boundaries will help in the areas of text messaging. Karen goes on to deliver some practical tips on handling social media, which that portion of the book alone is worth purchasing the book for. But this sort of leads me to the last practical tip that I want to share. Besides all of the screen protection, there is another way that I keep negativity from pounding its way into my heart. On this podcast, we're untangling life together, right? So I've talked a little bit about this next tip before in episode six, too many loose threads to tie up. In that episode, I discuss how to make the right decisions when you can't do it all. And this final practical tip for creating healthy barriers around your wounded heart to shield them from negativity is similar to the thought of choosing when to say yes and when to say no which is what I talk about in episode six. But I think for the sensitive folks in the room, my hand is held high, I would say it's not only when to say no, but how to say no. Over the years, I've grown in the area of when to say no. I shared that with you. But I haven't always done the best job of knowing how to say no. And I think this is still something I'm working on. Remember those situations I talked about earlier in the podcast, where the communication that I entered in, into my inner circle of friendship was not what I anticipated? When I look back on each of those dilemmas, I understand my mistake. In one case, I was not saying no the way I thought I was. I was saying no, but then when I explained the no, I offered temporary personal circumstances as explanation. The person receiving my no heard, not now. I'm sure you can see how that can easily happen. The other instance of communication struggle in my inner circle was the result of my friend hearing, I need a break. When I had intended to communicate, I need empathy and understanding. You know, back to Karen's book for a minute, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. She writes in chapter 7 another little piece of advice I just want you to hear. Stop over-explaining and apologizing. We need to scale back on our responses, keeping only to whether we're giving a yes or no and a general reason as to why. Stop offering so much backstory. Oh, am I ever the queen of this? The other person does not need to know all the assorted details. Sometimes we think that piling them on justifies our answer of no. Simply tell the general reason why and that you must politely decline. No other explanation or apology needed. And Karen goes on to deliver another little section here called Don't Answer in a Heartbeat, Do a Heart Check. And she says, we often give our answers in a heartbeat. A better practice is to pause and pray, discerning whether your answer should be yes or no, checking your heart to make sure you're not just saying yes in order to be liked and approved of. Don't answer in a heartbeat. Instead, take at least 24 hours to ruminate asking God for his peace. Once you've felt you've gotten clear direction, then give your reply. If the person doing the asking simply insists on an answer right then, then tell them the answer will have to be no. I love this piece of advice from Karen's book because I know it works and I know I need to get better at using it. I think these two points she shared in her book are the very reasons that my communication was scrambled and I wound up in such a mess. (laughs) I love the advice of pause and pray. Oh, mercy, yes. As I've heard my dear friend Jennifer say so many times, Oh, Rachel, we need the Lord. Yes, friends, we need the Lord. Learning to pause and pray is critical in times of negative onslaught. When the news media whirls faster and the social media only gets more disruptive, pausing to pray is critical. I just love this piece of advice from the book because I know it works and I know I need to get better at using it. Pause and pray. Mercy, yes. As I've heard my dear friend Jennifer say so many times, oh, Rachel, we need the Lord. And yes, friends, we need the Lord. Learning to pause and pray is critical in times of negative onslaught. When the news media rolls faster and social media can only get more disruptive, pausing to pray is critical. And I want to add one more word to my friend Karen's little key phrase of pause and pray. I shared it in episode 10 of the podcast with my husband, but I'm adding it here because I love alliteration and also because it really makes a difference. So I would say pause and pray and pivot. Once you've trained yourself to pause and pray or stop and pray, then train yourself to transfer your attention to what God has for you and not the negativity, whatever it is. My ca- friend Karen Eamon in her book also says, don't take on more than you can pray for. I saw this on her social media feed recently, and I just found it to be so powerful in my own life. Don't take on more than you can pray for. This training to learn how to not take on more than you can pray for, it comes through having a regular quiet time with the Lord each day. And for all those in need of heart healing and hope holding, I know you'll appreciate the Restore Me from Hurting to Healing September Bible Reading Challenge. I hope that you will join us. I adore Corey Timboom, and I can sum up today's podcast with a quote from her: "The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where." Everything is possible. And that, my friends, is today's thread of hope. Each episode of Untangling Life concludes with a segment called On My Desk. This week on my desk, I have the resource mentioned in this podcast, and they will also be in the show notes. First up, the book, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable by Karen Eman. This book is for the person who's ready to break the pattern of people-pleasing and confidently live life. Secondly, the Restore Me From Hurting to Healing Bible Reading Journal. Take 31 days to embrace God's healing hand on your heart. Join us for the September challenge. You can purchase a digital download to print at home or mark up on your device, or the paperback is also available. Also on my desk this week, though not mentioned in the podcast episode, my large print purple leather bound NIV Bible. And coming soon, 31 days of prayer for the heart. This is a brand new product. I can't wait to share more detail. Launch date not yet known, but pre-orders will be soon. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon.